Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Computers feel a lot like friends. They're such amazing tools for expression and creativity. And and also, having the internet was a great way to open up a window to a world that wasn't a 1,300-person town in central Texas. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. This week's Women in Tech podcast episodes are powered by Strayer University. Strayer University is the go-to place to get your MBA online. You can get your entire MBA via Facebook. What? Yes, it's true. And they have incredible video content to learn from, amazing instructors, a powerful leadership team, Strayer. Check them out at strayer.edu. Thank you, Strayer, for believing in women in tech. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast here in Seattle, Washington. Yes, at Microsoft's Build. And we are here celebrating women in tech. And I have Paige sitting across from me. Hello, Paige. How are you? I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So we got to run into each other in, in the conference itself yesterday. Absolutely. Like, Who are you? Let me feature you. <laughs> cool. And, and it's also like it was such a fortuitous meeting, too, because I've always wanted to meet you. I've heard about your podcast a lot. Really? Seen it, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I've seen it retweeted on Twitter quite oh, a bit. Cool. So I'm so glad that we're able to be here today and talking about lady stuff, talking about tech stuff, talking about awesome things that we're both working on. Yay! Yep. Okay, so go ahead and formally introduce yourself to everybody and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Cool. So my name is Paige Bailey. I'm a cloud developer advocate at Microsoft, specialized in machine learning and AI. Um, and prior to coming to Microsoft, I worked as a predictive modeler in the energy industry for about four and a half years. So all of my work is done with Python and R, um, variety of packages. So I love Scikit-learn. I love Carrot on the R side. Um, but definitely, definitely I'm getting more in-depth into the TensorFlow Kubeflow space. So Kubeflow is more distributed machine learning using Kubernetes. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of my shtick. I like the I like the data sciencey and the machine learning things. So we have a whole range of listeners from starting out to super 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 seasoned. To, so to give everybody starting out a, a better idea of what you do, can you give us a breakdown like the kind of like uh, what's it called uh, the book for dummies <laughs> on like your your job and and the kind of impact that it creates? Cool. So uh, I guess kind of a definition of a developer advocate 
is we have a variety of hats. So usually we're people who have been working in the tech industry for a bit, um, but we're specifically tasked with going out into communities, um, understanding what people are using our products for and how they're using it and what are the difficult pain points for using the products, taking that feedback back to the development teams, um, and then also going out and speaking at conferences, getting involved with open source projects and contributing there, um, and then making sure, again, that just whatever our users um, are experiencing with the product is uh, kind of the best experience that they could possibly have. So that's, that's kind of a, a gist of my job. It involves a lot of communication, um, a lot of technical work. So I code about 30% of my day. I talk for about 30%, um, and then 30% sometimes presenting, sometimes meetings, sometimes you know just kind of uh, researching new things in the field. And I feel like you probably, you're so technical that you probably track all that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, well, my, my inbox does it for me. Like There's this uh, nifty little Outlook extension that tells you how much of your time you you spend answering emails, how much of your time you're spending meetings, and it just it gets depressing sometimes. No, my gosh, yeah. I do not want that extension. I I'd know. freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when did you first fall in love with technology? Oh man, my first computer was an Apple II that my mom rescued from being thrown away. So I grew up in a really, really kind of impoverished community. Um, it's about 1,300 people in the center of Texas called Itasca. We didn't have a town library. We didn't really have um, much going on in terms of, you know, technical places or engineering facilities. Or So somebody donated a computer to our school's library. Nobody could figure out how to make it work. My mom rescued it, and that was my only slash best toy for a long time. And, so. and what, what were the things that you learned on the computer? So the computer was donated by, uh, I guess, like a financial analyst or an accountant or something. So it came with a lot of floppy disks of games, but then also data files, which I probably shouldn't have had access to. (laughs) But it had a couple of manuals as well. So I learned how to make text adventure games. Um, I learned how to make small modifications to some of the games that came on the floppy disks and learned how to play a whole, whole bunch of Zork um, (laughs) and Moon Patrol and um, summer games. Wait, so you're completely self-taught. Well, yeah, but but like I said, it was my only toy for a long time. So you get to know you get to know your toys. You just would you say you were just really really curious? Really curious and very very bored. Like that's that's kind of the, and it's also very it's it was such an enchanting thing to have, you know this this place where you could create things and immediately see results and and have it you know have it be somebody that you could interact with. Like I was. Um, I have older half brothers and sister, and um, younger half brothers, and but I was always kind of an only child in the middle of those two groups. Right. So having somebody to play with or something to play with was technology was your companion. Yeah, <laughs> and the nearest neighbor. You know, I grew up on a farm, so the nearest neighbor was quite a few miles away. That's so crazy. Okay, so how did you go from a farm having a computer that was essentially salvaged yeah. to working in technology? Did you study in school? So. I've been so fortunate throughout my entire life. So I grew up in the tiny town. I did well on standardized tests. And since I did well on standardized tests, I got accepted to a university called Rice in Houston. Highly recommend it uh, for anybody who's looking for universities. Um, But they also have 
fantastic financial aid programs. So, like I said, grew up kind of um, in an impoverished community, and Rice gave me a full ride through undergrad. So I ended up studying geophysics and applied math. But the the reality that my parents always said was, um, you know, Paige, you can't make money off those computers. Like, <laughs> they're fun for you to play with, but you can't really ever you can't really ever expect to have a job for it. Seriously? Yeah. When were you able to prove them wrong? It was really interesting. My, one of my first student jobs was as a database architect. Yeah. Um, and then another one was uh, building GIS maps for the sociology department. But the application would keep crashing. And the only way to make it so that the application didn't crash was to script it out in Python. Yeah. So to keep my job, I, I learned how to use Python with ArcGIS. And then for my, my internships, they were all very computer data analysis focused. So I did two internships uh, on NASA projects, one at the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics and one at Southwest Research Institute. And then the third one was with a company called Chevron, um, where I was building out another database for them. Um, and it was in the IT department, and they gave me a job offer. And I was like, okay. I mean, it feels like it comes so naturally to you. Is that true? Well, like I said, it, it, it was just, you know, only slash best toy for a long time. So computers feel a lot like friends. And, and they're, they're just such, they're such amazing tools for expression and creativity. Like, that's, that's the thing that gets me the most. And, and also, having the internet was a great way to open up a window to a world that wasn't a 1,300-person town in central Texas. Amen. Yeah. But even with all that, you know the whole conversation going on today about like how social media actually makes us more disconnected in a way? Yeah. What is your viewpoint on that? Because a lot of times in this short conversation, you've talked about how technology has made you feel more connected and just an aspect of technology, social tools, mm -hmm. supposedly as a societal conversation are making us disconnected. Do you agree or disagree or... So I think it's, I think that's a great question, but also a really nuanced one. So when I was growing up, again, small towns, there's, there's not really a whole bunch of people that, that you can connect with or identify with. Um, so knowing that there were other folks out there who were like me, right, who were interested in computers, who were reading the same books, who were watching the same movies, that was such a huge connective process. But then again, most of my communication in online is, you know, primarily through text, right. primarily through a, through a written context. And I definitely think that it influenced kind of the lens that I interact with people. So it's, I, th I think that there's probably a lot of the communication piece that we're going to be missing. Like we're going to be forgetting how to do small talk. Um, we're going to be forgetting maybe what it feels like to, um, to be in the same space with other humans and to connect with them in a personal way. But in, in a lot of other aspects, it, it's great to be able to connect with a variety of folks, even if you aren't like geographically in the same location. And when did you first find Microsoft? I found Microsoft, it, it, feels, it feels like a long time ago. But so first computer was the Apple II. Um, and then I saved up a whole bunch of money because there was this, uh, do you remember Gateway Computers? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I saved up half of the $549 that it took to purchase a Gateway computer. I saved up half and my mom provided the rest of it. So the Gateway was my second computer. Um, and it had a ton of software with it too. So Microsoft Encarta, it had, um, oh gosh, Operation Neptune, um, Gizmos and Gadgets, The Incredible Machine, like lots and lots of these very physics-focused games. Yeah. 
And so that was like my first connection with Microsoft. And then again, I just never really thought like, oh, hey, maybe that's a place that would want me to work there. <laughs> um, but I, I just, you know, used Microsoft products for, for a long time as one does because Windows was everywhere. And then about three years ago, Satya Nadella became the new CEO and they suddenly started talking about open source and they started talking about these new commitments to you know, health and wellness and, and sort of accessibility programs for AI. And, and all I could think of was just like, wow, this sounds like a corporation that's turning into a startup. So I started thinking about potentially joining and then this opportunity on Azure arrived and it's just kind of been a perfect fit. And how long have you been with Microsoft? Since July of last year. What was your first parlay as a tech professional? My first opportunity as a tech professional would probably be, so again, first two internships were, were both space sciences projects, but that third one with Chevron was in IT. Oh, got it. Yep. So, so they gave me a job offer and I took it. You know, I, I went to go, um, I went straight from undergrad into the business world and they also said that they would pay for grad school. Nice. So I, yeah. So that was your first full-time job. Yeah. Like, I mean, outside of being an intern. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that was my first full-time job. And I was mostly doing things like uh, geophysical application support, um, building geophysical plugins for applications, um, doing sort of database management, uh, lots of the typical IT stuff. Right. Um, and then eventually, uh, after I started doing some predictive analysis and some of the more machine learning focused things and did some data science plugins for our applications, they started realizing like, hey, data science is a thing and she's already doing it. So we're just going to call her a data scientist now. And that was four and a half years. So what's your dream? Like, where do you want to go from here? Do you think about that? So it's such a that's a great question again, but such a huge one. So the AI industry is changing very, very rapidly. Like TensorFlow, which is the primary deep learning framework, it was only released two years ago. Um, and it completely revolutionized everything, or it feels like it revolutionized everything. And then we, we're getting all of these new hardware components out, so FPGAs and TPUs and other custom ASICs for training and for inferencing. And it's, it's just, everything's changing just so fast. But I, I do think that AI and machine learning is the space for me, and, and I do think that bringing, um, bringing machine learning into the hands of more and more people, and not just through programming, but through maybe drag-and-drop interfaces or conversational interfaces, would be the coolest aspect to me. And what would you say is one obstacle you've successfully overcome? Mm -hmm. What did you learn from it, and how did you overcome it? It's really hard to kind of provide for yourself and for, for other people around you. So my mom's stipulation whenever I went to college was you have to pay for it yourself and you have to stay in Texas. Um, so I got through college, um, but it was really, really hard to. And um, I, th I think that knowing what it feels like to be poor and knowing what it feels like to not be able to afford food, they're good learning experiences. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not sad that I had them at all, but they're also really, really difficult things to have to live through. So I, so I would say something that I've learned the most from is learning how to be conscientious with money, learning um, what hard work really means and, you know, what actually is the value of a dollar if you're working for a minimum wage. Um, and then learning also to what's most important, because if a family member gets sick, then you do anything and everything in order to do um, to take care of them. For and that. why Texas? 
because that's where I grew up. So, oh, she yeah. just felt like you'd be safer and have more yeah. resource and supported if you yeah. were in Texas. And she also wanted to make sure that I was close by. So if she wanted to come visit, she could. I don't ask this question often, but I don't know why I'm, I'm pulled to ask it. What's one moment? I mean, that moment was amazing. Like, uh, I don't know if you could position it like surviving severe difficulties. But aside from that obvious one, what's one moment you look back on your life that mm-hmm. you're profoundly proud of? I studied abroad in China. So, and this, this is completely like before I went to college, I had never been outside of the state of Texas um, because my family just didn't have the money to travel. I had, I, I knew German, but that was only from like family coincidence. And, and I had never even really thought about going to grad school. I didn't know grad school was a thing. So it was, it was just kind of a, a culture shock to, to get to this larger city, to get to Houston and to experience all of these amazing things. But there was an opportunity that Rice had for two students every year to go study abroad in China. It was sponsored by the Chinese government, which means they paid for it. They paid for room and board. And most study abroad activities I couldn't do because, you know, they they cost lots and lots of money and and I, I just wouldn't be able to afford it. But China, I could because they were paying for it. And I applied and I got it and I was able to spend nine months in Beijing. And it was one of the most amazing and terrifying experiences of my life, um, especially since I couldn't speak Mandarin. So just like arriving with a suitcase and like a notepad and a pen and like writing down the university name that I was supposed to and taking it to a taxi cab, that was the coolest thing. And then realizing that phones don't work in other countries. <laughs> like that was, that was terrifying, but it was awesome too. Oh yeah. my gosh. Paige, yeah. thank you so much. We have a couple minutes left. So uh-huh. with that, where can people connect with you? So my Twitter handle is dynamic webpage, um, page spelled like my name. And I am page, uh, dynamic webpage everywhere on the internet. And can you spell your page, your page? Can you spell <laughs> your name for everybody? Yes. P-A-I-G-E. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And okay. Last question. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. There's a book called If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler by Italo Calvino that is fantastic. And it is a beautifully quick read, too. It's about 180 pages, um, and it just flies by. I highly recommend it. And then if you're, if you're more into, like, reading lengthy books, I know, it's, I know it's kind of a cliche, but I love Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. But, but yeah, If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler is a favorite book. And part two of the last question, your favorite tech tool. My favorite tech tool, God, it would be TensorFlow. Like that's, I'm just, I'm all about TensorFlow right now. I think it's, I think it's an amazing framework. So TensorFlow is actually, I changed my answer. Okay. So, so um, TensorFlow is is a numerical computing library that allows you to do deep learning. Um, so building predictive models. Um, but there's a developer facing API for it to make it a little bit easier to program in TensorFlow called Keras. That's what I changed my answer to. I love Keras <laughs> because it allows you to create deep learning models using TensorFlow with just 10 lines of code instead of like a 200. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know what that is from when I first used to code websites. Awesome. <laughs> Paige, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Thank you so much for having me. If yeah. you guys want to connect with more extraordinary women in tech, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello at Women in Tech Show on social, Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will talk to you guys, see you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Paige Bailey. I'm a cloud developer advocate at Microsoft focused in machine learning and AI. I'm based out of Seattle, Washington, and you're listening to Women in Tech.
This week's Women in Tech podcast episodes are powered by Strayer University. I'm Sabrina Kopp. I'm the Chief Information Officer at Strayer University. I think the reason why Strayer is elite and unique is we do a lot with respect to not only making education uh, more affordable, and I feel like we've really pushed the needle there between our grad fund programs as well as a lot of the scholarships that we've done, but I think we've been really good based on our reputation and our vision to partner with you know entities like Jack Welsh that, you know, make us and continue to find our reputation as an elite institution. Check them out at Strayer.edu. Thank you, Strayer, for believing in women in tech. I've been interviewing these outstanding women in tech here at Microsoft. It would not be possible if it wasn't with these four incredible men celebrating women in tech around me. Hello, guys. Hey. So tell me what this podcast central is all about. I'm Bharat, and we started this uh, two years ago at every big Microsoft event. Uh, Richard Campbell... Carl Franklin, uh, Dimitri Lylan, and, and myself, we've been trying to get folks to talk about all different topics of technology and how Microsoft relates to that. It's really an entrepreneurial project within a large corporation. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's driven by the heart. It's to attract different storytellers, if we could call podcasters that, mm-hmm. that you all really admire. It's to give women an opportunity to share their stories and their journeys. Mm-hmm. And so you've really all come together to make it possible. Um, so Microsoft Build isn't just another dev corporate tech conference. It's a, a place to share a powerful story and have it reach beyond the wall. Yeah, it's really amazing how much we, we can do sometimes at a big company like Microsoft. Like a lot of us and the company itself really tries to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're, we're making sure we're being inclusive, both from listening to the people that are outside the company, talking to us, and making sure that inside the company we have a diverse kind of set of voices and faces coming right. out and talking on podcasts and doing our keynotes. It, it really is an amazing place to work. What's great about it is that you get people who don't necessarily think about Microsoft you know, and their podcasters and their podcast listeners hearing uh, you know, these stories and technology uh, from Microsoft executives, people that they would not necessarily have access to uh, just you know, living inside their uh, JavaScript world or Ruby or whatever it is. And then, you know, we bring them here and we, we give them access to these people and they take it back. And now they're, they're expanding their reach and they're expanding uh, their uh, knowledge to include all the great stuff that jibes with their technology back home. Carl started Dotnet Rocks back in 2002, which is uh, about two years before the word podcast even existed. I came on board in 2005 on show 100. And here at Build, we recorded show 1,550. Yeah, we've been doing it a while. A little while. Yeah. And I also have a show called Run As Radio, which is an IT show. started later in 2007. But yep. uh, I think i got 580 in the can now. Yeah. And Dimitri, none of this would be possible without you signing off, I hear. Well, it was a bit crazy. So, yeah, I'm Dimitri Lylan, and I've been kind of with this effort since the beginning. Rich was like, I have this crazy idea. I just said, okay, let's make it happen. People didn't think we could. It was too late. It was no budget. It was, you know, whatever. All these stupid excuses. So I came over to Brad, and I'm like, Brad, I, I think I can find the money. I think Rich, you can help us organize it. I need somebody to help us run it. Can you help? Where can they find out more about your shows, more about what you do online? Well, our show is .NET Rocks. It's, you know, period N-E-T, R-O-C-K-S, or .NET Rocks.com, D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S.com. Or just search for it in your favorite podcast uh, 
directory. Directory. We're in them all. We're in them all. I'm just Barat on uh, Twitter, Barat Espat at Twitter. But, Can uh, you spell that for everybody? Uh, B-H-A-R-A-T, S, uh, the letter S, uh, and then B-H-A-T. So, um, Perfect. And Dimitri? I'm easy on Twitter. It's going to be uh, wyland.com. That's L-Y-A-L-I-N-D-O-T-C-O-M. That's my Twitter handle. It's, I'm easy to find. Perfect. Easy. Thank you so much for putting together Podcast Central and making this magical experience happen for everybody and spending the time on the Women in Tech Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Esprit. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech Podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.